I've been gone for a few weeks, but we're in a series in Ecclesiastes, and we're moving towards the end. And I thought this week it might be helpful to uh, kind of take a victory lap of sorts. And that is to, to go back and do some review so that can move us as we move towards the last two chapters of Ecclesiastes, which we'll do in the next two weeks, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12. So I want to, what I want us to do today is I want to read a portion of Scripture from Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And you'll be served by having a Bible, uh, your Bible open, or if you don't have one, there's one in the, in the chair rack in front of you. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13 and 14, and then I want to go back and we'll read more during the sermon, but I want to read just the first three verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 1 through 3, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has, de- he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher or the words of Koheleth who is the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? You may be seated and we'll take a moment to reflect together on God's word. You'll be helped by just having your Bible there open to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 because we'll make our way through several chapters. We'll be finished in several hours. No, just kidding. When you trust Jesus as your Savior or when you become a Christian, you, you take hold of countless incredible realities. One of those realities is well stated in the passage that we talked about from Colossians by the Apostle Paul. And that is God has delivered us. He's delivered you. He's delivered me from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us. He's he's come and he's seen that we're in darkness. We're in this dark domain and he has come into this dark place and he's transferred or he's delivering people out of that dark domain into this kingdom of his beloved son, whose name is Jesus, who is the light of the world. So he's transferring people from darkness to light, from death to life. And the Bible is very clear here and in other places that human beings live in one of two spiritual realms or realities. There aren't multiple realms. There aren't multiple spiritual realities. You're, you're either in the domain of darkness 
or because of Jesus, you're in the, the kingdom of the son he loves in light. You're either uh, on your way to death and separation from God or you're living in the life and light that's going to turn into eternal life with Christ. Those are the only two paths. That's why I read Psalm 1 today. There's just two different ways to go. The Apostle John says really the same thing in a different way in his letter, 1 John 5. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Only two spiritual realities. You might recall the the bitter exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. That the people that had a, a form of religion, but they had lost the substance. In John 8, Jesus looks at these religious people and says, If God were your father, if you were in the, the kingdom of light, if God was your father, you would love me. You would love Jesus. You would see who I am. But you belong to your father, you belong to your father, the devil. One branch, if you look at, uh, if you were to look on Ancestry.com and you were to type into the search bar, human spiritual realm, human spiritual tree, that what would come up is a, a tree with just two branches. You're in one or the other. One leads back to the devil who lives and reigns in the domain of darkness, Ephesians chapter 6. Or it leads back to God the Father, in whom there is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. And Paul tells us the only way to move from darkness to light, the only way to move from death to life, is by a divine deliverance. You can't walk from one place to another. You can't wander in from one place to another. You have to have a deliverer. You have to have somebody who's coming in and rescuing you from this domain, and he's transferring you to another domain, and that deliverer is Jesus. And it's the greatest rescue mission ever told. Jesus is God with skin on. He has come to deliver people out of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of light. And the telling of this rescue mission, which really begins in Genesis chapter 3, it, it never grows old. It's endlessly fascinating. It's, it's endlessly incredible. You never reach the bottom of it. You never hear it too many times. But that's not my purpose here this morning. My, my purpose this morning is to talk about life after the transfer. Once you've been delivered from this darkness into light, once you've moved from death to life, how do you live now? We, we need a new roadmap. We've been following some particular way, and now we're in the light. We're free. We need a new set of, uh, of, of rules. Uh, we need a new map to follow. 
And so that's my question or that's my purpose of our talk or time here together this morning is how do we live now? Really, it's the exact same situation if you think of it as in Exodus in the Israelites. You remember the Israelites? They were in 400 years in darkness. They were imprisoned, enslaved in Egypt. And what happens if you read Exodus? A deliverer comes. And he uses Moses, but it's God delivering his people. It's a miraculous delivery. There's no way that when the people of the, the Israelites are delivered across the Red Sea, they don't look and say, wow, look what we've done. There's only one way they've gotten from this slavery into this freedom. And that's because God himself has stopped this powerful army. He's broken all their chains and he's brought them into this new and he's leading them to this promised land. That's an incredible delivery. And once that delivery happens, what's the first thing God does? He gives them a new map. He said, you know, you've been living so long in this darkness, you don't really understand who I am, and you don't really understand how to live for me. And so he takes them to Mount Sinai, and he gives them the Ten Commandments. This is how, this is the roadmap. This is how you live now. See, it's important that you understand that the deliverance happens prior to the commands. You don't get deliverance by obeying the commands. You do the commands because you've been delivered. It's a big Big, big, big difference. And so that's exactly what we're talking about here today is how do we live now that we've been transferred out of the darkness and into the light? I was listening to a sermon on my vacation and this guy was talking and he said this. As a Christian, you might have a new heart, but you still got grandma in your bones. (laughs) You know, as a Christian, you might say, well, I've got a new heart. True, but you've got your parents in your bones. You've got, you got a history in your bones. You've got a, a way of living. You've got all this momentum that you've been living in one particular way. And yes, by, by God's grace, you've been transferred into some new place. But you have a bunch of old habits that now you have to learn how to live in a new way. That doesn't happen all at once. The transfer happens all at once, but once you've been transferred, this process of learning how to walk, learning how to live, it takes time to get grandma out of your bones, so to speak. See, you may have been transferred, but you still are in need of transformation. So for the Israelites, God provides the Ten Commandments. Again, not as a way... Of being transferred, but as a way of being transformed. In the New Testament, the word that is so often used to describe this new way of living is the word walk. Now, what's your walk like? How do you walk now? Paul uses it in Ephesians. You no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding. You were firm, you were formerly dark, but now you're light. So walk as the children of light. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, 
but as wise. So, so we were living in this darkness. We were walking in this darkness. We, we lived upside down lives. We were moving in the opposite direction of the way we should go. And then after this transfer comes, we, we need a new set of instructions to say, well, now how do we walk in the right way? How do we go from upside down living to right side up living? And we shouldn't be surprised that when we hear the instructions, they're very contrary to what we might obviously naturally think. Just for example, if you want to be the greatest, what do you have to be? The the least. See, see, in the darkness, if I want to be the greatest, I've got to be number one. I've got to be the greatest, whatever that may be in whatever position. But when you move into light and life, then becoming the greatest is becoming the least. If you want to be first, oh, I'm all for first. Love first. In the new way, in order to be first, what do you have to be? You have to be last. If you want to save your life. How do you really save your life in the light of the glory of God? You lose it. You see, so when we move into this light, there's going to be some places that we should anticipate. That's totally different than the way I've been living. Yes, you've been living in the dark. You've been living upside down lives. We're trying to turn your right side up and move in a different direction. Most of the this process of learning how to walk is where the Bible's wisdom literature is so helpful. God's provided this wisdom on how to live. And the most concentrated form of wisdom literature in the New Testament comes in the book of James. James is like a tour de force of how to live your life as a Christian. He's assuming you have faith. Now he's saying, okay, now that you have it, this is how you you walk it out. This is the way you you live. And the most concentrated form of wisdom literature in the Old Testament comes from the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And so if you haven't been here with us over the summer, we've been navigating our way through this book. And we've been listening to this wise preacher, or, or his name is Koheleth in the Hebrew. Most people believe it's King Solomon. So whoever it is, the preacher, Koheleth, Solomon, he's been saying, hey, I've lived in this darkness. I've done all these things. Now, learn from me and walk in a, in a different way. And so what I want to do is, like I said, go back and sort of take out the highlight reel and look at four different passages and think about how we are walking our lives out. And then in the next two weeks, we'll get to chapters 11 and 12 and we'll be done in this series. So let's look at chapter 1 again, verse 2 and 3. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, everything, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So this word vanity, havel in the Hebrew, it, it, it has a, a, a multi-dimensional meaning. And, of course, the writers have to just give you one word, so they choose vanity. Some of your, your uh, version, Bible versions might say meaninglessness. It could mean vanity. It could mean that, that the, the life under the sun is just pointless. Or it could mean everything is a, a mist or a fog. 
It looks substantial. Life looks substantial underneath the sun. It looks like you're holding on to something substantial. But you, when, when you get to it, it's like a fog. I thought that was meaningful. I thought that was real. But when I, when I get close and try to grab hold of it, there's, there's no substance there. It's just empty. Or it can mean breath. Breath. It's here right now. But it's, but it's quickly gone and replaced by another breath and another breath and another breath. So that you really don't even remember any single one breath. It's just so quick. I attended a leadership conference with several folks here uh, this past week. And one of the speakers reminded us that on your tombstone is going to be your name and then a start date and a stop date. So Paul Morgan Phillips, 1963, and that's the start date. And then there's going to be a stop date. What's in between the start and the stop date is a little dash. And that little dash is how you decide you're going to live your life. Which way you're going to walk, how you're going to walk. And it's going to go by like a dash. It's going to go by so quickly. And so the preacher here is telling us, he, he sort of just burst out in this, these opening verses. He says, if all you do is live for things under the sun then the dash called your life is either pointless or empty or quickly replaced. If everything you're trying to hold on to just has value underneath the sun, then it's just going to, you're going to end up in a place that you just say, that was pointless, that was, that was empty, that was, that was quickly forgotten. And in some of the most sobering words, I think, of the entire book, Chapter 1, verse 4, and chapter 1, verse 11, he says, Generations come and go, and there's no remembrance of them. Every generation, like a wave, hits the timeline shore and stretches out and tries to make its mark and go further than the last one. But what, what the preacher is saying is, no matter how far it goes, it, it just quickly recedes. And guess what? It's replaced by another and replaced by another until we just don't remember them. And even the ones in the future, nobody's going to remember those. So, so the first and perhaps the most critical thing we learn from the preacher in chapter 1 in terms of how to walk in this world is, is don't waste your life trying to make your mark, or your name great. It's a waste. If all you're doing underneath the sun is you're trying to make a big splash, you're going to make sure everybody knows me. I've got more friends than anybody. i got more likes than anybody. It's a waste. It's like chasing a soap bubble. You get that? <laughs> what happened? It's not. It's nothing. And he's saying, don't don't waste your tiny little dash as tiny as it is, as as much of a vapor as it is. 
Don't don't waste that dash trying to make a name for yourself. Use your dash to make a name for God Almighty, whose name will be remembered forever and ever and ever, and at whose name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Use your dash for that. Don't use your dash for yourself. What's the very opening of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven... What's the first thing? Hallowed be your name. I'm here to make your name great. That's the very first thing I was planted to do. I'm going to use my dash, whether I'm a preacher or I'm a dad or I'm a businessman or I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm a student. I'm going to use my dash to make his name great. That's the first thing and probably the most important thing that we learn from Ecclesiastes. Don't waste your time trying to make your mark. Spend your time making his mark, his name great. So how are you spending your time? What are you doing in your walk to make his name great? Or are you really honestly, you certainly wouldn't say it, but you're really just trying to make your name great. And then sort of once you got your name great, then you can kind of move on. Of course, that's you're never going to arrive at that point. Chapter two. The preacher says, don't waste your dash making personal pleasure your priority. Chapter two, verse 10, an accurate motto for today, even though it was written 3000 years ago. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. I looked around and whatever I wanted, that's what I went after. I thought that was, that's the, th- those are the things that if I could just have that thing or those number of things, that's really going to bring me life. And as we talked about this now many weeks ago, uh, the preacher, Koheleth, he, he took a front row seat on the let the good times roll tour bus. He said, man, I, I know where good times can be found and this bus can take me there. And I want to make sure I have a front seat and I get all the things that the world has to offer. Wine, work, wealth, women, all of them included in chapter two. And then he comes to this conclusion. It was like a striving after the wind. I just never could get it. No matter how much I had, I always needed a little bit more just ended up in emptiness and despair. A few years ago, through a mutual acquaintance, I met a college student. He had just transferred from one university to, to UNCW. And we all, we, we both knew somebody, but I had never met him. And so as a friend, a favor to my friend, I said, hey, I'd be happy to, you know, meet him and take him out to lunch. So if, you ask a college guy, guy, you want to go out to lunch and I pay? It's yes every time. And so I called him up and said, hey, let's, you probably haven't been here long. Let's go to PT's right across the street from the university. And we sat outside and had a really a fun conversation. Handsome, smart, already popular varsity athlete at UNCW. And so we had a nice conversation. We talked about the people that we both knew and just got to know each other a little bit. 
And sort of at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, if you ever need any help. I mean, he wasn't there for help. We were there just to try to get to know each other. If you ever need any help, just, you know, put your phone, put your, put my, my phone number in your phone. You call me ever, ever need help. And he was nice. Yeah. Okay. Great. I'll do it. But I've been doing this for 25 years and I could tell he was 19. He had it figured out. He didn't need any help. So I didn't wait up any night waiting for him to call me. And he never did. Not a big deal. Happens all the time. A year and a half later, I get a phone call. Hey, what you doing? I need help. Can you meet me today? So now we're at McAllister's. Hey, last night I got drunk. I've been getting drunk all the time. I didn't have a way to get home. I had a few dollars in my pocket. Nobody would take me. So I called a taxi. The taxi said, I'll take you as far as your $5 gets you. Which got me up Market Street a ways. He opened the door and kicked me out. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't walk. I stumbled into the ditch, and that's where I spent the night. I woke up this morning. I got home, and I'm calling you. I need help. See, he got on the good time, let the good times roll tour bus. He thought he had it all together, and he did have all these things. And it took him about a year and a half to realize it's a soap bubble. It's not only nothing, it's despair, it's emptiness. Hear this handsome, smart, athletic, talented, popular, Koheleth preacher. He ends up on Market Street in a ditch at four o'clock in the morning. Because he's been on the good time, let the good times roll tour bus, and it terminated in despair. And he says, I need help. So we have a, a little dash. And so many people spend most of their time just trying to pursue comfort and pleasure and saying, this, this is all the life I've got, so I've got to make the most of it. And I've got to get these things together. And, and they totally discount eternity. Don't waste your dash on the good times roll tour bus. Chapter 5 and 6, point number 3. Don't waste your dash on cash. That's tricky, isn't it? Chapter 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied. Oh, if we could just memorize this. Memorize John three sixteen and this verse. If you love money, no matter how much you have, you're going to need a little bit more. And you say, no, if I just had a little bit. No, when you get there, it's like this moving target. It's always just a little bit more. The preacher then gives this bitter example. I want us to look at it. Chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. He's looking at this rich man. And he says, there's a grievous evil, verse 13, chapter 5. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt or harm. And those riches were lost then in a bad adventure or bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. 
As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him? Moreover, all of his days he eats. Listen to this. This is how he ends his life. He eats in darkness, in vexation or anxiety, sickness and anger. Darkness, anxiety, sickness and anger. This this Hebrew word grievous evil means it makes me sick to think about it. So Solomon is looking at this man who has he just has a tiny little dash. And in his tiny little dash, what he's seen is that this man has decided, I'm going to make sure wealth is the one thing that I pursue. And he does it to his own harm. He loses his friends. Maybe he loses his family. He loses connection to the church. He loses any connection to faith. But he's got his money. And sadly, he gets it all of his money. And maybe when he's 50 or some age like that, he's got all this money. He's had, he has a lot of harm in his background. But he decides, hey, now that I've got some money, I'm really going to invest it in this piece of real estate. And this piece of real estate goes bankrupt. And now he's not only harmed his past, he has a bankrupt future. Koheleth gives us the results, and it's not, it's not pretty. He's the father of a son, but he doesn't have anything to leave for his son. He's toiled all of his life, and he doesn't have anything to hand off to the next generation. Well, well, maybe he does have something he is handing off to the next generation. It's not wealth. What is it? Depression, anxiety, sickness, and anger. That's what he's handing off. What, what a wonderful inheritance. Hey, my dad died. We read the will. This is what I got. Depression, anxiety, sickness, and anger. Whew. Wonderful. Let's split that up. I don't want all those. You see, you, you got a little, you got a tiny little dash. It's like a vapor. And you will be handing something off to another generation. You will be handing something off to your child, to your church, to your community. And what are you going to do in that little dash? What are you going to do to hand something eternal off? And so Kelheleth is saying, please don't make your dash for cash. You got something so much more valuable, so much more eternal to hand off. Last point, chapter 8, verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, see, this is the smartest man in the world. He's applying what he's been given to really understand things, to see the business that is done on earth. I'm trying to understand how things operate on earth. How neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. I'm sleeplessly trying to grasp and grapple with what's happening. Then I saw all the work of God 
And I realize that man cannot find out the work that is done under the, under, underneath the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though he's a wise man and he claims to know, he can't find it out. Part of the transformation process, once you've been transferred and now you're being transformed, part of the transformation process, a very important part of the transformation process takes place in the dark. So important to understand. A large part of our transformation process takes place in the dark. The preacher tells us, you know, how much you read and how many sleepless nights you endure, and no matter how restless you are trying to discover everything that's done underneath the sun, there are things that you just can't find out. There's just things that you're not going to understand. And then Solomon says, even if the, the who's the wisest man in the world, he says, even if another wise man comes and claims that he knows, he knows what God's intentions are. He knows God's reasons. He knows when God's going to return. He knows exactly why bad things are happening to you. Trust me, they don't know. They don't know. You can't figure some of this stuff out. Let me say this clearly because this is so important. Real wisdom and significant transformation are acquired not through some special knowledge about what's going on. Real wisdom, real transformation is not acquired through some special knowledge about what's going on. No. Real wisdom, real transformation is possessing the ability to trust God when you have no idea what's going on. That's when you're really wise. When I have no idea why these things are happening and I still trust God, even when he takes away, I'm trusting God. That's when somebody has arrived at real wisdom. Not because you know everything that's going on. That kind of transformation, that kind of wisdom only happens in the dark. You can't learn it in the sunshine. The book of John, in closing, tells us that the word of God was revealed in the flesh. Jesus, the true wise man, the true preacher. He shows up and he says, follow me. And he doesn't expect us to know everything. He does expect us to follow. So all of us have a, a little dash some of us are further down the dash than others. As tiny as it is, you've got a lot less left dash than you had. Not me, I'm just saying people I know. <laughs> but what, whatever it is, it's like that. So for, first of all, have you been transferred? That's the most important thing. Do you understand that you're living in the darkness? You're living upside down. You need a savior. Do you, do you understand you need help? If you don't understand that, please find me. Find an elder, somebody can, you can talk to. But for many of us, we've been transformed, but we transferred, but now we need to be transformed. And my question in your little dash, how, how is your walk? 
Which one of these places has God spoken to you to say, yeah, you were here today for that particular point. That's what you need to go home and work on. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a divine appointment. That today in August 17, 2014, uh, we sit here today by divine appointment to hear this word from the preacher 3,000 years ago to challenge us as how we're going to live this little dash we call life. And are we going to give it to things that are substantial and eternal or what we're going to be holding on our deathbed is a soap bubble? You, you do your kind of work in every heart and every mind, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.